Okay, so welcome everyone. This is Dr. Joe, and I've been asked by some of um, the congregants at First Assembly about what's a good parenting manual or a parenting book. I feel like I found one of the best I've ever read. I've only read a couple of these, but one of the best I've read that's relatively recent is entitled The Vanishing American Adult by Dr. Ben Sass, who is a former president of Midland College, but is now a senator from Nebraska. He has four children, and uh, he is a, uh, an, an excellent writer and gives some profoundly helpful information. I want to encourage you to buy the book. Uh, Sass uh, wants to be extraordinarily practical and actually gives practical, uh, actionable steps uh, that he's attempted with his own family. But you're going to get a flavor of this book instead of having to work through the 300 plus pages and the footnotes and endnotes. The idea here is to summarize the book, give you a, a feel of what it is in maybe an hour or so in, in smaller uh, podcast chunks here, and then we can move from there. So let's start with uh, what Sass says about his own book. Listen to this. The Vanishing American Adult seeks to diagnose how adolescence a good thing in and of itself, has drifted to become perpetual adolescence, a destructive thing. The problem has many aspects, but the part of this book that struck the deepest chord with readers is this, the challenge of developing a work ethic in our kids in an age with seemingly limitless consumption opportunities and so little work that we actually need to do. We know in our gut that productive work that service of neighbor actually makes us happier and deeply satisfied. Yet in each particular instance, duty typically attracts us less than leisure. How do we then habituate ourselves and in the passion-drenched adolescents and young adult souls in our charge that have been charged us, how do we do how do we do the prioritization of production over consumption of work before play? Now you're dealing with a generation that has their own pocket-sized supercomputers and smartphones, searching Google for news both meaningful and trivial. In short, the last few generations have experienced more technological and social change than arguably any other lifetime in human history. A noble impulse is for parents to provide for their children. Mothers and fathers should give their children bread, not stones. But a judicious encounter with stones has merit too. And that, again, is the theme of this book. Insulation from toil and sweat brings different kinds of costs. Everyone with a gym membership knows this to be true, even, in a, even a necessity. Seventy-five years ago, we had a name for pointless physical labor. It was called a chain gang. Now we just call it January at the gym. Modern fitness regimes are a close parallel for what we need to construct to help our largely workless kids build their work ethics. Notre Dame sociologist Christian Smith recently startled colleagues and readers with an extensive study of the moral beliefs of college-aged Americans. To his dismay, he found that a great many of them now admit to believing that well-being can be measured by what they own, quote-unquote, and that they derive a lot of meaning and pleasure from, quote, shopping and buying things. The Western tradition has long shouted a warning here, arguing that mere acquisition is a hollow pleasure. We want to want what we do not want. And what we want not to want, we want, as both Paul the Apostle and Cheryl Crow understood. 
this being perhaps the first time those names have been paired in a single sentence. Like so many who have come before them, countless young Americans recognize this problem not just in their generation but also in themselves. The easiest available pleasure does not provide true happiness. Human flourishing, in Aristotle's terms, is one through recognition of what you ought to be and the hard work of doing the things that are fitting for you as a human to do in service of others. There's an ancient corollary to that idea. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. The book of Proverbs warns us. In isolation, this truth could sound like a discouraging death sentence to someone who knows himself or herself to be undisciplined, whose desires are ordered towards things that will not lead to human flourishing. Fortunately, ours is a nation that continues to heed the advice of Ben Franklin that one is really never too old for self-improvement. Sure, it will require steady work, but such work can create habits, and habits eventually yield fruit. One must simply begin. A virtue, if you have it not, Shakespeare's Hamlet urged. There's a great deal of research and wisdom on the most effective techniques for habit formation and reformation. Some of it summarized in the pages to come. But the first and final question must always be simply, to what end? F. Scott Fitzgerald, in a letter to his daughter explaining why she had, quote, never been brought up soft, the jazz age novelist stated the simple truth that nothing any good isn't hard. Many of the parents and grandparents who have approached me over the past year have been worrying that our culture has been discouraging us from having more conversations like the one between the Fitzgeralds. We, the parents, have been failing to transmit the age-old truth that scar tissue is the foundation of future character. My kids, quote, need air conditioning. We all know the noun, quote, adult. But I was perplexed last year to begin regularly hearing the new verb to adult. In social media, especially on Twitter and Instagram, it birthed a new hashtag as well, hashtag adulting, as in, quote, doing laundry, dishes, cleaning my bathroom at midnight, hashtag adulting, or, quote, just paid this month's bills on time, hashtag adulting, or, quote, decided I couldn't watch Netflix for eight hours straight and went to the grocery store instead, hashtag adulting. The new words used spiked so quickly that in 2016, the American Dialectic Society nominated, quote, adulting, the most creative word construction in the entire English language, alongside slang YOLO, go for it since you only live once, quote-unquote, and politically correct neologisms like microaggression. For those unaccustomed to hearing this term, that is, actual adults, quote, adulting is an ironic way of describing engagement in adult behaviors, like paying your taxes or getting super pumped about home appliances, you know, the sort of mundane tasks and tools that responsibility demands. In other words, to a growing number of young Americans, acting like a grown-up is kind of a role-playing that can be thought of as a sort of joke. In a different time, there was a decent clarity about what coming of age into adulthood actually meant. Leaving childhood and becoming an adult was conceptually clear. It was a gift that older generations gave to the younger. No longer. Ours is now an odd nation of both delayed grown-ups and adult children who create words to mock the idea that we could ever become responsible, civic-minded leaders. I couldn't conceptualize growing up without the compulsion, first external compulsion, but over time, the more important internal and self-directed kind of compulsion to attempt and to finish hard things, even when I don't want to. But this generation, their ache is deeper. They are scared of behavioral change they've been observing. They've noticed that all this screen time seems to imbue their kids with a zombie-like passivity. They detect a decline of agency, of initiative, of liveliness. Oddly, while the kids now 
know and admit that they are much happier doing other things, playing with friends, throwing a baseball, taking a hike, accomplishing something tangible, they can't find the initiative to get started on these activities on their own. They will do these other things, but only when their parents take the lead in arranging them. In the absence of intervention, the kids remain passive. My friend often arrives home from his work, his wife also works, but gets home earlier, to find his wife starting on dinner and the kids sprawled out on the floor or couch, their facial expressions blank, attempting to engage them is only met with a vague recognition that a conversation is even taking place. Even their physical bearing seems to have been altered during these times. Normally alert and engaged, they now seem tired, listless, enervated. My friend wasn't complaining, he was actually scared. How will they possibly make it on their own? What magic moment after 14 will lead them to suddenly switch from passivity to the responsibility taking of adulthood? When we hear stories about other people's children, there's often a kind of, quote, log in someone else's eye tendency to quietly assume that a given kid's passivity can be linearly traced to a particular parenting failure in the household. So as an antidote, let me personally own a third and final example that might illustrate that these challenges are not remedied simply by the sheer exertion of individual parental will. Because there are forces bigger than any one family at work here, societal affluence that allows us to entertain ourselves to death, quote-unquote, changes in technology, the radical separation of the household and thus kids' upbringing from exposure to meaningful work, and a broader cultural amnesia about child-rearing that makes it harder for individual families to inculcate a sense of self-reliance. So how do we awaken an aspiration to self-disciplined independence when the neighbor's kids are almost all suffering from the same affluenza? America wasn't built to enable perpetual adolescence, and America can't endure long this way, even if these were normal times, but let's be clear, these are not normal times. The generation now coming of age is going to need even greater grit and resilience than in previous ages. The world of the next few decades is going to be scary for folks as we navigate a truly unprecedented pace of job change for reasons we'll discuss in the coming chapters. And technology, for all its convenience and improvements to our daily lives, has birthed a kind of on-demand consumerism and an ever-growing variety of sources from which we get our news and information. This is a problem to us as a society, and young people in particular, who will only know this digital world because of its inherently polarizing effect its tendency to favor emotion over reason, and because citizen engagement in a republic required, requires reasoned debate, critical thinking, and the thoughtful contesting of ideas, and individuals willing to stand up for what they believe, even when challenged. Everywhere I go across the country, I hear from people who share an ominous sense that something is very wrong with our kids, but they don't always have the hooks or labels or even a mental framework to discuss it. Some pretend for a moment that the grand fights are actually political, and what they're really worried about is right versus left, but mostly they know this isn't true. They know that almost all our kids seem to be distracted and drifting. They yearn for the rising generation of American teens to be grittier, more self-possessed, more self-sufficient, and ready to serve. They know that we've lost something from our older ways of coming of age, but they're not sure what it is or how it happened. They worry that there are few precise markers of a progressively increasing responsibility, expectation, and achievement. They are unpersuaded by fuzzy, directionless claims that more years should be spent in classrooms before ever beginning to work. I don't have any magic bullets either, and I actually don't believe that there is one singular solution. I will unpack some of the methods that my wife and I are using to attempt to address these issues in our own home, but please don't misunderstand. I have zero desire to set myself up or my kids up as models of execution. We stumble and fall every day, but we have a shared theory of what our family is trying to accomplish. 
Melissa and I want them to arrive at adulthood as fully formed, vivacious, appealing, resilient, self-reliant, problem-solving souls who see themselves called to love and to serve their neighbors. The thought of them drifting into a state of passive, dependent, perpetual adolescence actually turns our stomachs. There is much we want to accomplish in life, but failing at this calling would dwarf all other vocations we care about.